Greetings and welcome to the Take One Security Podcast. My name is Daniel Meisler. This podcast is me reading and commenting on InfoSec headlines on one take. There will be no preparation, no editing, very little post-production. Goal is to simply give people a way to audibly consume security news with a bit of analysis in less than 15 minutes. Today is March 30th, 2015. Let's get started. Twitch is a game streaming service owned by Amazon. It was hacked last week. Um, Basically, passwords, emails, usernames, addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth were all compromised. Uh, You're encouraged to change your password as soon as possible. And uh, Amazon just bought them last year for about a billion dollars. There's a new bar mitzvah attack on SSL TLS. It requires that you can sniff traffic, which is uh, good, lowers your risk a bit. And it's basically an RC problem, uh, RC4 problem, uh, algorithm issue. Um, So you shouldn't be using RC4 basically in your supported list of algorithms, and that's the fix. GitHub has been hit by a massive DDoS attack, apparently from China. It's been sustained for a number of days Um, pretty massive. I believe it had something to do with redirection of um, search traffic. And I believe there was some conversation about it being government related, but I'm not sure if that um, came through. There is a CSER vulnerability found in a popular wind turbine. Uh, Allowed you to pull usernames and passwords from the web interface. And also allowed the password to be changed for the default user who also had admin access. This is all coming from cross-site request forgery. So I I personally like this a lot uh, because I've been saying or talking about CSER for a while and sort of pointing out how large the range is in uh, severity for this uh, vulnerability. It basically scales from not being important at all, all the way to being almost as important as, you know, uh, cross-site scripting or SQL injection, um, depending on just where it is and what type of app it is and that sort of thing. Another CSER vulnerability exposes Hilton customer accounts. So there's an account rotation issue having to do something with like a promotion that was put out for getting free points. And you could basically rotate through a nine digit number and pull people's account information. Um, Or you basically drop into their account after which you could just change their password and do whatever to their account. So pretty nasty. Also C-Surf, definitely something that they need to uh, address. Snowden says IT workers are now the targets of spies. So it's not so much that they're going after IT workers' information. They're just targeting them because they have access to corporate networks, right? So basically, they want access to, you know, big energy networks or um, big healthcare providers. So they go after the employees that work there who have access to that data, hack them, get the medical data or whatever kind of data and then use that in further attacks. So it's part of a larger strategic campaign, 
but he was just pointing out that IT workers are now sort of uh, part of the target there. Primera was hacked on the same day as Blue Cross, which was January 29th, just sort of got announced last week. But it's the same story, encryption, know your network, that sort of issue. Also the same story is health data is harder to clean up, right, uh, when it gets compromised because it involves the loss of PII, which are things like, you know, username or uh, date of birth, social security number, name, address that aren't as easily changed as something like a credit card. You can't cancel them and have a new one reissued very easily. So there's also more speculation around the previous point, which is that these attacks are gathering data to be used in larger attacks. Specifically, the conversation from a couple of weeks back was that we're seeing attacks against health data because that health data has PII in it, which a lot of people use for authentication data. So they're going after government workers um, by getting their PII and hopefully using it to get into government networks and escalate all the way up to harvest data from you know, really sensitive areas. And the, the main actor here is supposedly China and the main victim is supposedly US. But I think it's it's larger than that. It's other governments, both as the source and destination. Apple has acquired Foundation DB, uh, which is a NoSQL database, probably that they're going to use for um, hosting and serving their uh, services backend. So like. Uh, you know, iTunes and the App Store and things like that, that they're trying to do at scale and keep up and keep fast. Um, so that was a purchase that they made. They also purchased another analytics company, which I don't remember the name of, but uh, a little bit before that uh, pur purchase of the database company. Researchers use heat to breach air gap systems. So everyone knows that air gap is considered a be a pretty good defense. Uh, some folks at Ben Gurion University came out with a tool called BitWhisper. Um, it requires malware on both systems. Um, and basically the way it works is you increase heat output on one system using like control of the uh, CPU or um, various ways you can just increase the heat on the system. And then on the other one, you're detecting heat changes, right? Um, at the time, I think they did it from 15 inches away. So it's all about how much can you increase the heat? How much can you control the, the heat increase? Um, I haven't read too deeply into it, but I imagine it's things like really stressing the CPU to heat it up, turning off the fans so heat goes up, um, and then turning back on the fans and lowering the heat on the CPU. All right, because you're trying to you're trying to create a variance, right? You're trying to create like Manchester encoding or or whatever, to um, obviously not Manchester, but you're trying to create an up and down, like a variance in a zero or a one. And on the receiving side, you are a 
sensor detecting that zero one being sent. And if it sounds like that would be slow, uh, you would be correct because you can supposedly only send about eight bits per hour of information, uh, which is very little data, but it's still cool that it's going over an air gap using only heat. Um, again, with the mitigation that you must have the malware controlling both sides. Still pretty cool though. So Biocatch, Zoomingo, and Alibaba have released tools to identify user activity or users themselves. Basically, uh, I used to work at a or used to work at a consultancy that sold a product. I think it was called Biopass, and basically uh, it was typing based. So you, you could type your password, someone else can type the same password, and it, it didn't match your signature. They would fail authentication. Um, had some issues like you couldn't type with one hand unless that's how you did your, you know, initial enrollment. And if you were drunk, you would actually not be able to pass. Or if you hurt your hand or your finger, you also would not be able to pass. So it had some issues, but it was still pretty cool because you could actually tell someone your password. They would type it in and still fail. So some banks and credit unions were using it uh, back then. This was like 2003 or something like that, or no, 2005 or so. And um, that was pretty cool. So now this uh, Biocatch, Zoomingo, and Alibaba, these companies are doing similar things, right? Uh, the Biocatch one is looking at what you're doing with your mouse. So subtle differences in how people move their cursor while they're reading, um, how they scroll and where they scroll and how fast, like all these various things. Uh, the other company is doing um, selfies of basically face recognition uh, via a selfie for authentication. Um, and the other one, the last one, Alibaba, is doing things like where are you currently located? Does the purchase you're making match, you know, uh, your normal habits, spending habits? Um, and, you know, are you at the exact location that you normally make that kind of purchase? Which, see, which to me seems like, you know, just an extension of existing fraud detection, with, just with more data. But it, it is interesting. Uh, the, the one thing I find fascinating about it is that it could be used for different levels of authentication, right? So you could basically have, you know, when you're logged out um, and you're starting a brand new session, you need a level one login, Um but if you're just, you know, continuing on inside of a session, but you're doing something a little bit, you know, a little bit sensitive, but not that much, like maybe you're just navigating from one sensitive area to another, maybe you would like to add a level of authentication, which you don't normally do because normally you have to ask them to enter a username or password or maybe even two-factor. But you want some authentication, but not that much you could add something like this, which is completely passive and pass that as a, as a token and just make sure it matches, uh, you know, to whatever degree. And then if it doesn't, then prompt, but you could basically have authentication like through all throughout your app at various touch points, um, based on behavior, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so the idea wouldn't be necessarily that you replace your main auth or your critical auth for the most sensitive actions with something like this, but you could sprinkle it throughout as a as a 
supplement or a complement to um, your regular auth, which hopefully is, you know, seven-factor, you know, retina scans or whatever. So um, Korea is investing like $5 billion into IoT and smart cars. Um, I think within like the next five years, pretty interesting. And finally, I have one uh, sort of idea just to talk through. I'm going to do a blog post on it probably. But um, bring your own IoT. So this is an idea I have around IoT and wearables, which the line between those is a little bit uh, blurry for me and uncomfortable. But let's just say everyone is sort of wearing wearables, um, broadcasting their location, you know, capturing video and audio, and they do this on a more regular basis, you know, with or without the other IoT stuff that I talk about a lot with personal services and, you know, web services and stuff like that. But if you just imagine a regular corporate environment um, where you're in meetings and you're sitting in front of a screen displaying very sensitive information, and you're called into meetings and they're describing, yeah, we're going to be cutting this many jobs or we're going to go after this one competitor or whatever. Um, and you're in a competitive environment, like your company's competing with this other competitor. Everyone's fighting for employees. Uh, people are worried about their jobs. But everyone's wearing an Apple Watch. And one of the apps is being able to just record your environment with a motion or with a tap or with a whisper to Siri or something like that. And you could just start recording video from a lapel pin. You could start just capturing audio in any conversation. And suddenly all your employees inside of the walls can snap pictures. They can record audio conversations. They can record video all with a, a simple gesture or maybe even not a gesture. Or maybe it's just always recording and it's being streamed. It's being sent somewhere in the cloud. It's, it's safe. And now suddenly the inside of the organization seems a bit less safe. It seems like it's going to change the dialogue of what is sensitive and what is private inside of a corporation. And I wonder if it's going to lead to something like you cannot have an Apple watch when you come to a certain type of meeting. You cannot bring your phone. Um, you get wanded. There's a Faraday cage. There is, you know, you get fired instantly if you have any tech with you. Like, I wonder how long it's going to be before that sort of thing happens just because, you know, this type of thing is become going to become a larger threat. Now, one of the sort of pushbacks on this will probably be that phones can already do this, right? They have been able to do this. They're probably flip phones that could record audio. You know, why is this a bigger deal with air quote IoT? And it's a good point, sort of, I think, because, you know, people could have phones or whatever. I think the difference is that it's pretty noticeable when you're interacting with a phone, right? The whole point of the watch, and this is why I think it's going to open the gates here. The whole point of a watch is that you're supposed to be able to do the things tech-based things without touching your phone, right? You, people are expected to touch their watch. They're, they're checking the weather. They're checking, you know, text messages or whatever. 
And if there's some sort of gesture or instant activation that allows you to take a picture or record audio, I think it's just going to raise the ease or, or increase the ease with which someone can capture this type of thing um, and make it a lot more subtle where it's not so obvious that someone is looking at their phone, they're hitting the record button, everyone can see it's recording. Um, it just seems like it's going to be a lot more sneaky and therefore more dangerous for for companies. But um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So that's it for this episode. Hope it's been worth your time. You can find these headlines as well as more InfoSec, philosophy, and politics content at danielmiesler.com.